And then otherwise in the bulletin, uh, Cowboy Church coming up on the 24th. And then also, please make a note here, we put out the shoeboxes today. Um, I can't believe Christmas is sneaking up on us. And um, before we know it, it's going to be Thanksgiving and then Christmas coming shortly behind it. Um, And we want to make a big deal out of this mission outreach with Samaritan's Purse. So there are shoe boxes that are there. I want you to pick them up. We're going to do this differently this year than what we've done in the past. Typically what we do is you pick up your box, you bring it by, and then somebody grabs it and sends it off. And that's just the end of it. We want to make more of an effort this year that we send these boxes off with prayer. And so what we want to do is, you know, you take your shoe boxes, um, be, be praying as you go to the store and you buy gifts uh, to put in that box for whatever child, wherever in the world will get that box. But then as we bring them back, what we want to do is bring them back on Sunday evening the 14th. And what we want to do is get them ready for shipment together. So we'll make this kind of a group effort. We'll get them ready to ship them off. And then we want to just take some specific time where, you know, we just take our time and and those boxes that we have, that we pray over them, we ask that God would take them and use them in a kid's life to bless them and to make an eternal impact in that child's life. And so we really want to bathe this effort in prayer, and then we'll round out the evening with just some fellowship together, and uh, I think a good fall, I guess November 14th is hardly fall anymore in Wyoming, but nevertheless, we'll have cider and donuts, okay? So we'll have hot cider or cold cider, whatever you want, and have some donuts and just some fellowship time together to round out the evening. So that'll be on the 14th. So don't forget to pick up your shoe boxes over the next week or two, and then as a family to make, a, make an effort to, to really make this a, uh, an impactful mission opportunity for us as a church. Thank you, Dave, for reading that passage to us today. As the body of Christ, we grow up into that love that he has shown us. And so we stand together and we sing of his love. Would you stand and let's praise our hearts.
Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. And let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer as we begin. Come, my soul, with every care. Jesus loves to answer prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that when we come to you, you are not burdened by our repeated need. You tell us in the book of James, if any of us lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men freely. And you do not upbraid. You don't kick us in the teeth. Because we need. Lord Jesus, we need you today. Holy Spirit, we need you to open your word. That Lord, these are not just words. Lord, this is truth. Truth that can saturate our minds and change the way we think and then transform the way we live. Lord, we need you every hour. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking as we were singing that song, Come My Soul With Every Care. I I love that song. Hymn written by John Newton, slave trader, writer of Amazing Grace. Um, That song, Come My Soul With Every Care, is a part of what is called the only hymnal. The only hymnal, when John Newton was pastor of the church at Olney, He had living with him a man named William Cowper. Have you ever heard of William Cowper? He also wrote hymns. William Cowper was a brilliant mind, but he was afflicted with horrible depression, became very suicidal, came to live with John Newton in his home. One of the ways that John Newton helped William Cowper was every afternoon after church, William Cowper and John Newton would write a hymn. And that was like medicine to the soul of William Cowper. Carried him along. And then John Newton would preach on the hymn that he wrote on that Sunday evening. And uh, so that's where you get the only hymnal. I would, I, I would really um, recommend to you, anytime you can, the writings of John Newton. Two books. Cardiphonia and Omicron. Omicron is the letters of John Newton, and he would sign his letters with the signature Omicron. And it was just, Omicron is a Greek letter of the alphabet, the most insignificant letter of the alphabet. And so he would sign his name with a pseudonym, Omicron. And um, then Cardiphonia, which is the utterances of the heart, and it is, it is soul-healing material. 
This predates Sigmund Freud and pop psychology. And if you want to find out how Christ would heal your soul, read Cartophonia. Good writing by John Newton. That's not for today. Romans chapter 12. Let's look at verses 3 to 8. We've been studying verses 1 and 2 for some time. That God would transform us by renewing our mind as we present ourselves as living sacrifices. And the very next thing that he says to us is in verse 3. For by the grace that is given to me, I say to everyone among you, So little kids, listen up if you're in here. This isn't just mom and dad. Been walking with the Lord for 60 years. Listen up. You're in that everyone too. He has something for each of us in this verse. He says, for the by grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, everyone in the room and everyone on the internet and everyone in the world, Stop thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Let's just say right at the get-go, this is the first thing that the Holy Spirit lays His finger on when He tells us to have a renewed mind. Stop thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But think with Sober thinking. In that one sentence, the Holy Spirit packed the word think four times. Think about that. I just said the word think. Right? Stop thinking more highly than you ought to think. Think with sober Thinking. Each, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members. And yet the members do not all have the same function. So we, the church, though many individuals... are one body in Christ. Individually, we are members of one another. Having then gifts that differ according to this grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The renewed mind, as the Holy Spirit transforms our life by changing the way we think, the very first thing that he brings to our attention is our pride. Our individualism. Our assertiveness of our own rights. 
the me first mentality. And he says, stop thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Think with sober thinking. And then he goes right into gifts. And the subject of the gifts is clearly linked to this thought because he's getting us to think about the reality that none of us have all the gifts, but we are entrusted with a gift or with gifts to not use to put ourselves on display, but for the edification of the church and the upbuilding of the body and for the glory of God. And then those gifts function amongst us in a way that each of us supplies for others what they cannot supply for themselves. And so we need each other. And this is Paul's thinking here when he tells us, don't think of yourself in a better way than you should think, because you need the church. And then in the next section of the chapter, beginning in verse 9 and going to the end of the chapter, he's going to give us all of these, white, these things that characterize the mind that is thinking soberly, that is appraising itself properly. So he's going to say, let love be genuine. He's going to say things like rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints. He's going to say in verse 10, never be wise in your own sight. Never be wise in your own sight. That's proper evaluation of ourself. And so this verse, verse 3 really serves as an introduction to the rest of the chapter telling us what he's going to be talking about. And so he develops the concepts of spiritual gifts and then how spiritual gifts operate, what that looks like. What does an act of mercy look like? Uh, What does does ruling with zeal, leading with zeal look like? And he gives us all of that in the next section of the chapter. It's going to take us some time to get through these verses. What we study in these immediate verses on spiritual gifts is very important to us. Now, we've been bogged down for some time in the first two verses. We're really getting stuck now because we're going to be here for some time. We've got to talk about this. As a church, it is important. It, It is vital to our spiritual health that we understand this truth. And yet I know, as well as you know, this is like a veritable landmine field, studying spiritual gifts. And uh, probably as we study it, nobody will be happy with me um, because I'll say things that nobody likes, that you'll, no matter what your background is, you'll probably look at that and say, no, that's not what that means at all. It's kind of like walking in landmines. I've never had to walk in a field that was strewn with landmines. I can't imagine what that would be like. The closest thing I can think of to going through a field of landmines is when I was a kid. My mom is visiting with us today. She's here for a couple weeks. But on the farm where I grew up, down off the hill, we had this meadow 
and this wonderful creek, and that's where we spent our childhood, was at the creek. And I can still remember, you know, we would be getting ready to go to town or whatever, and we'd ask, I'm a little tyke, and I'd ask my mom, can I go down play at the creek? She'd say, yeah, go, go, go to the creek, but just don't get your feet wet, right? Remember that? Don't get your feet wet. Well, how can a kid go to the creek and not try to cross it? You know, how do you do that? So there would always be these stones in the creek that we had placed there when we were allowed to get our feet wet, and then you'd go down to the creek, and obviously you had to get to the other side of the creek, and so you'd step on those stepping stones to try to get across, and inevitably you would take that step out into the creek, and your foot would slip off, and you'd be in the water, and your feet were wet. And you're going to come home, and there's no way of hiding that from mom. Walking through this subject is like walking through landmines almost. Because there's so much misunderstanding. On both sides of this, there's been a lot of error taught in the church on the subject of spiritual gifts. What are they? What do they mean to your life? How do you use them? So, that's where we're going over the next few weeks. Let's begin in verse 3 and think about what he is saying concerning the way you think. The first thing I want you to notice is what, is he, what he is addressing is a universal problem. You go to a church in Papua New Guinea. The people that live there struggle with this. You go to a church above the Arctic Circle with the people who are the Eskimos. They struggle with this. It is a universal problem. He says, notice what he says at the beginning of the verse, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, everyone among you, Mark it down. This is a universal problem. Here is the problem. You think too highly of yourself than you should think. I think too highly of myself than I should think. That is a core problem that we face as human beings. The whole world revolves around me. But then we find out it don't. Right? But that's the way we think. All through the New Testament, the Holy Spirit draws our attention to this issue. He does so in the book of Philippians in chapter 2. He says, if there be therefore any encouragement in Christ... If there are any bowels of mercies, any tender compassions, fulfill my joy by being like-minded of the same mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not think it something to be held on to, to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. 
He took upon himself the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. And then being found, fashioned as a man, he humbled himself even further. He became obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him, given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He points us to the mind of Christ. What an astounding truth that the God of the universe was willing to humble himself in such a way that he would not only take our sin upon himself, he would die as a spectacle, an agonizing death, and he would live his life in service to humanity, men who hated him and spit upon him. He says, let this mind be in you. Is that the mind that characterizes our life? It should be. Let me suggest to you something. The more you walk in the Spirit, the more it will. What I want us to think about for a minute as we think about spiritual gifts is this truth. Don't just try harder to fulfill this. If you do, you will only fail more and more. In order to fulfill this, the only way to grow in it is to walk in submission to the Holy Spirit. That's it. So, let's go on. This is a consistent message. It is a universal problem. And our problem is not just that we think too much of ourselves. It is that we think of ourselves too much. We spend our entire day thinking about ourselves. There are two spirits that characterize this attitude. One is a competitive spirit and one is a critical spirit. Now, let me say this. Competition is not inherently bad. Neither is criticism. But when those things become infectious attitudes that govern our heart, where everything we do is a competition against others for self, or when everything is a critique of others to make ourselves look better, that is not what those spirits should engender. Healthy competition is good. It drives us on. Healthy criticism helps me. Even the wounds of an enemy can help me, correct? Book Proverbs talks about that. Somebody comes to you and corrects you. How do we take that? Critique and competition can be good things, but when they become self-serving and they become about self and putting ourselves on display, they are dangerous and they create division. And this is a universal problem. The next thing here is he mentions his own personal perspective. I want you to go to Romans chapter 1, verse 11, because verse 11, I want to look back 
when we began our study in this book, the Apostle Paul mentioned his desire to come to the church. It was our first introduction to the idea of gifts. And so I want to draw our attention to it again because I think it's important. He's been praying for the church in these verses, and then he says in verse 11, I long to see you. And the reason I want to see you is that I can give you or impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you so that we are both encouraged by each other's faith. Notice the word faith there because this goes with verse 3 when he talks about the measure of faith that God has assigned. That these spiritual gifts operate by faith. We may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. The point I want to make here real quickly is Paul recognized that he needed the church as much as the church needed him. That's amazing to think of. The Apostle Paul is a tremendous man, a godly man, a spiritual man who lays the foundation of most of the New Testament churches. And yet Paul is admitting a truth in all these verses. I need you as much as you need me. When Paul came to the church, it wasn't like he just came to them so he could make them better. He came to the church so the church could help him and minister to him and make him grow. And so what we see in this truth is Paul's personal perspective on this subject is we need each other. We are not independent of each other. We are one body. When one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. When one part of the body is happy, the whole body is happy. When there's health in one, it affects all. When there's unhealth in one, it affects everybody else. When there's sin in one, it affects everybody. Think of Aiken. Back to that. I want to draw your attention to this. He says, through the grace of that is given to me, I tell you, don't think more highly of yourself. What is he talking about there? What was the grace that was given to Paul so he wouldn't think more highly than he should of himself? What was it? A thorn in the flesh, wasn't it? You remember that? Paul is caught up into the heavens, into the third heaven, and he sees things that he cannot express to anybody else. And then he says, and since I was so exalted, lest I would be exalted above measure, God gave to me a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble, to keep me relying on him so I wouldn't think I am something when I am nothing. And so the grace that is given to Paul so that he understands this is that although there is great revelation given to him and there is great ministry and there is great giftedness, yet God touches his life in such a way that Paul will always remember that he is nothing. Amen. And that's the grace that is given to him. It's amazing that Paul would say that is grace. But it was. Notice the next truth here. The next truth is, we see that we are to have a proper personal appraisal. He says, I say to everyone among you, don't think more highly than you should think. 
Think with sober judgment. The word sober is an interesting word. It's, it's used <coughs> all through the New Testament. Whenever we think of the word sober, we think about it in terms of drunkenness, usually. He's sober. It's a bigger word than that, though. In the New Testament, elders are told to be sober. Older women are told to be sober in Titus chapter 2. And they're to teach younger women to be sober. Young men are to be sober. And he says in Titus chapter 2, the old men should be sober. What does he mean? What does this mean? Sober. Sometimes that's translated temperate. Think of the word tempered. The word to be sober speaks of self-control. It's used in the book of Timothy in chapter 1. God tells us this. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. A sound mind. He's talking about proper appraisal, being able to think realistically. Let's put it that way. To think realistically about yourself. To look at yourself, know yourself, know your strengths, but know your weaknesses. And to make a proper, objective appraisal. How hard is it to make an objective appraisal? If you're selling property, you think it's worth more than it is. If you're buying property, you think it's worth less than it is, right? It's hard to be objective. I think what we have to think about here as we think about this truth is the Word of God is the appraiser. And it acts objectively. And the more time we spend in the Word and we analyze our lives under the Word, the more we can look at that in relationship to self and know ourselves. Know yourself. Be objective. A part of that is knowing our strengths and weaknesses and our giftedness. The last thing I want you to think about from this verse is that we must rest upon God's sovereign will. And he says that in this verse when he says, Think realistically, each of you, according to the measure of faith, that God assigned. When we read this morning in the scripture reading in Ephesians chapter 4, told us in those verses that when he ascended, when Jesus ascended, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. And he gave to the church some to be apostles. Some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Some to have gifts of mercy. Some to have gifts of ruling. Some to have any of the other gifts that are mentioned here. He assigned them. Rest in his sovereignty. Don't try to be something you're not. Don't try to put on a show. Be who God made you to be. 
and serve him with zeal within that assigned measure. Now, having said that, let's just make some initial observations on spiritual gifts this morning, and then we're going to close. In the next verse, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. And then in verse 6, he says, Having gifts that differ according to grace given to us, let us use them. So he's going to talk about spiritual gifts. I want to make some initial observations and we'll come back to this next week. And then we'll be looking at the big picture again before we get into the nitty-gritty of each of these gifts to understand them, what they are. I think it's very important we lay some foundation first. These truths are important. And I want to think about this. Some of them you may say, oh yeah, I really agree with that. Some of them you may say, I don't like what you just said. But I still want you to think about whether or not it's true. Here's the first one I want you to think about. When we're talking about spiritual gifts, we're not just talking about gifts, we're talking about spiritual gifts. The adjective becomes our focus. The gifts is the noun, the adjective is spiritual. That word is important here. What do we mean when we use the word spiritual? It could have three meanings. It could mean that they are generated by the Holy Spirit. It could mean that they are for the purpose of spiritual things. It could mean they operate in the spiritual realm. But we're talking about this concept. We're not just talking about your abilities. We are talking about a certain set of gifts. And this set of gifts we're talking about has an adjective. It's the word spiritual. It's important you note that. Now, here's where we go. First one is this. Some actions don't require a gift. They just require obedience. Okay? I cannot tell you how many times somebody has told me, well, I can't do that because that's not my gift. Since I'm talking to the group, I'll say it. Baloney. That's baloney. There are many things that God calls you to do, that God calls me to do, that don't require you to have a gift. It just means obey Him. Okay? We pass this off as Christians more times than we should. Well, I'm not an evangelist. Okay, some people may have a special gift of being a better evangelist than you are, but God has called you to tell people the gospel. It doesn't take a gift to do that. It takes what? Obedience. So let's not, let's not go into this subject and just think, I'm going to analyze myself and I'm going to find out where my strengths are and that's what I'm going to do for God. That's not what we're talking about. Biblical commands do not require a gift to obey. It just requires an obedient heart. So we got to start there. Because what I don't want to do is go through this study and have us all just analyze ourselves and then get in our little niche and say, that's what I'm going to do for God. That's not what we're talking about here. 
Second truth. God gives all men gifts. But he only gives spiritual gifts to his kids. In James chapter 1, it says this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. In the Old Testament, we read about a man named Bezalel who had a giftedness by the Holy Spirit to build the tabernacle. It was a special giftedness for him to build the tabernacle as God's kid. But there are a lot of unbelievers who have gifts from God to be great builders. There are people in the church who have a giftedness with music. But there are people in the world who have giftedness with music, right? It's important we understand this. You as a person have natural endowments of temperament that God just gave you as a person. Like every other person that lives on the planet. Does God want you to use them? Yes, he does. He wants you to use your natural endowments. That's not what we're talking about here, though. We're not just talking about natural endowments. Natural giftedness. Yes, you should use them. You should know yourself in a way that you know your best abilities and you use that. Like every other human being. Because every human being has them. Here, we are talking about certain gifts. They are what gifts? The adjective? Spiritual gifts. So what does that mean? Let's go to another one. Here's another one to think about. Don't seek gifts. Seek God. This is Paul's message to the Corinthians, and we'll look at this in chapter 12, 13, and 14. Because what the church was doing there was seeking the best gifts, what they thought were the best gifts. And it was all about gifts. Don't seek gifts. Just seek God. Okay, if you want to serve God, I'm going to say something that I think is radical here and some people may not like. Don't worry about gifts. Just don't worry about it. You know what? Seek God, walk in the Spirit, and He will put in front of you what He wants you to do. And you know what else he will do? He will empower you to do it. But if you spend your whole time just trying to figure out who you are and seek those gifts, that's like a kid who is more excited about the gifts he gets on Christmas Day than about his parents who gave him the gift. Seek God, not the gifts. Okay? God will take care of the gifts. We need to understand them. We need to know ourselves. But I guarantee you something. If you are walking in the Spirit, if the Lord wants you to fulfill some ministry for Him, He will make sure you are ready to do it. It just will happen. Okay, here we go. Some gifts are temporary for the need of the moment. Some gifts are permanent for the continuing edification of the church. In other words, there are gifts that God may give to an individual that are permanent in their life and they are meant for the upbuilding of the church and the edification of the church. And they'll stay with you for life. There are other things that may happen. I think Paul is a good illustration of this. He's just going through life doing ministry and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gifts him 
for that moment. And I think the Holy Spirit does that still today. I believe he does. Gifts are developed with use. But they diminish with neglect. If you neglect to walk in the Spirit, he will use you less. If you walk in the Spirit, he will develop within you the abilities and the callings he wants you to fulfill. That's where we're going. I guess what I want us to just think about as we think about gifts is this last point or the earlier point that we made. Gifts are important. This is an important subject. There has been so much division in the body of Christ in the last hundred years in America on the subject of spiritual gifts, it's unbelievable. Satan has used this to divide the church. We need to understand what the Spirit and what the Word teaches on this subject. But as we do so, let's not just focus on gifts. Let's focus on God. That's what this is all about. Seeking God, not gifts. Understanding the gifts, using them, but seeking God. That's where we go. So let's close in a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to bless our time as we go into this subject. I think this can be helpful for us as individuals, uh, as we grow in having our lives transformed by the word. Father, you know that this subject has created much division in your body over many years, especially in our land. And uh, Lord, help us. I know in, in our church, in this church here, the people that you have brought to this building, there are so many backgrounds, so many experiences that we have had. So easy to build our theology out of our experience instead of out of your word. So as we come to this, Lord, help us to walk in the Word in such a way that the Holy Spirit can truly teach us uh, what these things mean to us individually. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song together?